And welcome back to the Vonu Podcast, the podcast making you invulnerable to coercion. I'm your host, Shane. So I've already released a main episode of the podcast this week uh, titled Homebrew Cyber Weapons for Fun and Profit, uh, and I welcomed back my good friend, Jamin Bakonic. Uh, but I've got another intermission episode for you today that I know you're going to dig. Uh, so last month, I attended the 7th Annual Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. Uh, didn't get a chance to record any podcasts, uh, but I did record a show with Brett Venant uh, for his School Sucks podcast. I'll let Brett introduce the show and set the stage because, uh, quite frankly, I don't want to uh, uh, mess with any of his uh, masterful audio production. Uh, But the subject of discussion was uh, Bill Cooper. Uh, Bill was a uh, radio host and author in the 1990s and early 2000s. That was uh, absolutely critical in my path to anarchism. Uh, that's all I'll say for now, but you'll, uh, you'll learn a lot more uh, in this uh, upcoming interview. Uh, so a couple quick notes before I turn you over to me and uh, Brett's discussion. Kyle Reardon's Just Below the Surface, A Guide to Security Culture uh, is now available in paperback. Uh, I just read through it again in the past couple of days, and I definitely forgot how valuable uh, it really is. Uh, you can pick it up by visiting libertyunderattack.com, or you can find the link to purchase on Amazon uh, by clicking on the book there at our website. Secondly, I wanted to provide you with, uh, I guess secondly and finally, uh, I wanted to provide you with uh, an update on the Crypto Anarchism series. So we should be getting ready, uh, we should be getting ready to, uh, to wrap up. Uh, I chatted with Max Hillebrand from the World Crypto Network yesterday, and uh, wow, uh, he knows his shit when it comes to, when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, we covered some basics, uh, but we also dove into things like uh, the Lightning Network, Schnorr signatures, and other privacy-enhancing uh, Bitcoin tools uh, and technologies. Um, that uh, Most of them are already here, but uh, there's certainly some more uh, in the works. Uh, so that episode will come out on Tuesday, um, and I'm also hoping to interview someone from uh, I2P, the Internet, Internet Invisibility Project, because quite frankly, I still don't understand how that works. Um, but uh, yeah, that seems to be uh, taking a little time to, uh, to happen. So um, in the meantime, uh, I might also invite Cypher Assassin back on. Uh, that was a couple episodes ago. Um, and, uh, you know, have him do like a, a privacy on the internet 101, kind of like what we did with, uh, uh, you know, gun printing 101 with Ivan the Trolls. So um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, just kind of uh, tossing out uh, possible ideas here. So I'm thinking that the uh, next series after we close out uh, this one uh, will be on temporary autonomous zones. Uh, but I'm definitely open to suggestions on that as well. Shoot me an email, shane at libertyinterattack.com or get in touch on uh, social media. Uh, I know some folks were excited for the uh, Vanu and City series, uh, but other than that, uh, I'm not uh, entirely sure. Uh, so yeah, definitely do get in touch. Uh, that's all for now. Please enjoy my appearance on the School Sucks Project, uh, the School Sucks Podcast, and uh, we will talk soon. You're listening to the Vanu Podcast, the podcast making you invulnerable to the coercion of the state and the servile society. Visit our website for free resources to aid you in your pursuit of self-liberation, old Vanu publications, podcasts, guest articles, and much more. Go to vanupodcast.com. And now, your hosts, Shane and Jason. to the hour of the time. This is the only hour that ever was or ever will be. This is the most important hour in your entire life. For during this hour, you will decide your future and thus our collective futures. I am your host, William Cooper. You know, we're dealing with a very critical and crucial time. Most 
crucial and critical time that I've ever witnessed. Being as young as I am, you know, we all don't want to say nothing else, so we say as young as we are. Now I want to talk about uh, the pronunciation and the realization. Now the educators, they call it ESP, positive thinking, right? Some of the people on the, on the cross of the side of the pond call it vibes, vibrations, astrology and all those different things, you understand? But I call what it is is what it is. What it is is what it is. Look at him. Now you see. Apparently somebody called the Alex Jones broadcast and asked them, asked him why he didn't have me on the air or asked him something about me. <laughs> Alex Jones said he had had me on the air once before, several years ago, and had to cut me off the air because of the foul language that I used. So on the air tonight, I'm going to tell you, Alex Jones, you are a bold-faced, miserable, stinking, little coward liar. Now let me say that again so there's no mistake about it. You can all tell Alex Jones that I said this, and I suspect he's listening because he does. Alex Jones, you are a bold-faced, stinking, rotten, little coward liar. I was only on the Alex Jones show one time. It was years ago when I didn't know who he was, when I didn't uh, realize what a liar and a coward and a sensationalist bullshit artist that he is. He was on one little FM station down in Texas. He wasn't on all the stuff that he's on now. And I agreed to be on his broadcast. That's when I was doing guest appearances on broadcast years ago. I was not cut off. I did not use any kind of foul language whatsoever. He treated me very well. And I stayed on for the whole show. Some of you in Texas know that that's true because you heard the broadcast and you taped it. Later when I found out who Alex Jones was and what he was doing to the truth, and how, what a cowardly liar and sensationalist he really is, Every time he called me after that, I have always refused to appear on his broadcast. Absolutely refused to lend him any credibility whatsoever. I've also revealed him for the lying, sensationalist, bullshit artist that he is by every once in a while bringing to your attention the lies and the deceit and the rumors that he spreads over the airwaves that are not good for any of us. And they're not good for the nation. So at the fest, I was talking to this guy, Jason Paradise. And Jason was one of Shane's co-hosts on his Liberty Under Attack radio show when they first had me on back in 2016. At the fest, Jason mentioned to me the work of William Cooper. Now, I'd heard of William Cooper, but I had never really dug into any of his work. All I really knew about him was he had some kind of crazy theories, and when I first started to hear his name, I felt like um, I had been there, done that, so to speak. 
And Jason told me that William Cooper was a very transformative figure in his process of coming to think differently about the world. He said he actually learned about William Cooper from our friend Shane Radliff, who's been on this show a couple of times. I've been on his show a couple of times. Shane is also the author of the book Vonu, V-O-N-U, A Strategy for Self-Liberation. Vonu, Shane writes in the book summary, is an awkward contraction of the words voluntary, not vulnerable, and is premised around becoming as invulnerable to the coercion of the state and servile society as humanly possible. In Vanu, a strategy for self-liberation, Shane provides a primer on the subject, in addition to a much-needed development of the strategy. In addition to doing his Liberty Under Attack publications, Shane is currently the host of the Vanu podcast. Shane started Liberty Under Attack in mid-2012. At that time, mind you, he was 20 years old. Now, Liberty Under Attack Radio featured something that I was fortunate enough to get to participate in, and I was also really impressed with. It was called the Direct Action Series. So this included topics like persuasion, winning hearts and minds, strategic withdrawal, homeschooling, psychology and interpersonal relationships, entrepreneurship, survivalism, financial autonomy, technological freedom, networking, and even civil disobedience. And I mentioned to Shane in this conversation that his building out of this comprehensive library of action uh, evidenced a lot of wisdom for a young man. And I was very quickly impressed with the work he was doing when I first encountered him a few years ago. But Shane did not start there. In his bio on uh, vanupodcast.com, he talks about venturing down a conspiratorial rabbit hole and even being a sovereign citizen at one time. And I was reminded that... My journey to where I am now had very similar origins. I was listening to Coast to Coast Radio and Alex Jones and feeling, even if I was never able to put it into these words, powerless and paranoid. So I was interested in the story of somebody who walked a similar path despite being 14 years younger, encountering all this information at a different time and through a different messenger. Uh, As you could tell from the intro to this show, even though Alex Jones was often accused of taking much of the information that he was presenting from Bill Cooper, the two were certainly not friends. And Bill Cooper viewed Alex Jones as a fairly dangerous figure. It's also worth pointing out their stories part ways even more considerably. Two months after September 11th, William Cooper was shot and killed by Apache County Sheriff's deputies in Arizona who were attempting to serve a 1998 arrest warrant. Alex Jones, on the other hand, went on to enjoy a more successful 21st century. So we're going to contrast our two experiences, having these men as our guides in the early days of trying to figure out what was going on in the world. I thought it made for a very interesting and different conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Shane Radliff, welcome back to School Sucks. Hey, thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Nice to be with you at the Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. Yeah. This yeah. is your, what, your third, fourth fest? Fifth fest. Fifth I, fest. I, I had to figure it up. I thought I'd only, only been here four years, but it's been my fifth year. I know when we first encountered each other, it was on your show. It was 2016. Yep. Right? Yep. And I was recording with you guys before I got in the car and drove to Pork Fest. That's, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So can you refresh my audience's memory about what you're doing now? Cause, and sure. actually update my audience, because you had Liberty Under Attack, mm-hmm. 
but you had also moved into publishing mm -hmm. last time we talked. And you also had the whole Vanu thing that you yep. were doing, right? Yep. So that was, what, last year? Mm -hmm. Middle of last year when you published your book, right? Right, correct. So uh, what has happened since then? Yeah, so um, I, uh, when we recorded, I was in, uh, I was in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, stayed there for a few months. Uh, met, my, uh, uh, met and lived with my co-host of the Volney Podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Never... Uh, I uh, didn't even know his given name. He goes by a pseudonym online, so I really didn't know who I was uh, going to be. Oh wow! But, yeah. Um, but we'd been we'd, we'd been working together for four or five years in the alternative media. So, um, I mean, yeah, we we're yeah, pr pretty close. So um, I lived there for a few months, and uh, my uh, living situation changed rather drastically. And uh, Jason Henzo is also here at the fest. Um, he invited me. Uh, he said he'd be driving through Austin, and he was going to go uh, stay in Acapulco, and I could uh, live with him for um, however long I wanted to. So he went to um, Mexico. Yep. Wow. Acapulco. You drove there? Yeah, we we drove. Yeah, yeah how was drove. that? Uh, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, yeah, when I was telling friends and family, that was the most. Uh, They're like, "Oh, so you're going to Mexico? You're going to fly, right?" No, mm -hmm. I'm not going to. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Uh, Mexico's a different place. Um, he tried to make it. We tried to make it in one night because he's he's an animal when it comes to driving. I don't know why. But wait, uh, you tried to make it in one night from where? From uh, from Texas. From Austin. It'd be like uh, twenty one hours, and we were trying to do it in one shot, but we got to uh, to Caratoro which is about um, just past Mexico City. So we had another six or seven hours to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was an adventure. Mexico's a different place. Um, yeah, well, that was my question. Like, so you've driven a lot through the United States, right? Mm -hmm. you, were, you were planning to be, like, quite mobile yep. the last time we talked. Mm -hmm. uh, what was different about making that drive through Mexico? Because it, it was something that I actually considered doing at yeah. one point, too, was driving down there. And we were considering doing this driving to uh, Acapulco. Mm -hmm. So you did it. Uh -huh. What was it like driving through Mexico like that? Uh, so, um, I mean, I was I was kind of surprised because uh, I figured the roads would be crappy. Um, that's that's kind of what I what I what I've been told. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we took toll roads toll roads the entire way there. Uh, I think you paid like fifty or sixty dollars in tolls, but they're nice road. You know, they're nice roads. Uh, somewhere better than ones I've seen in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was a different environment because we got we got over the border and uh, he was going like thirty or forty kilometers over the speed limit, passing cops, and I was like, um. Yeah, does that, does, it matter, does that matter here? He's like, no, they they won't mess with you. So, um, I mean, it, it's just a different environment. If you if you uh, um, we actually in Mexico City, um, we uh, got stopped twice by by cops um, trying to extort us. And um, <clears throat> how does that move work? How does that move work? Well, it was twice within five minutes, mind you, for the same for the same extortion thing. They they saw gringos and they they wanted to uh, to get some money. Yeah, basically, uh, the cop was trying to get a bribe out of out of Henza, and he wasn't going to pay it because he knows he knows he's been there quite quite a few times, so he knows how it goes. And uh, how does he approach you with that? Like, what does he say? Well, there's a language barrier, obviously. Yeah. But, but um, does he start like <laughs> making the money sign with his fingers? Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, to tossing out tossing out numbers and like a couple hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, and it's like, nope, nope, ten dollars, ten dollars. Without even telling you what he's going to say, you did wrong. Um, well, apparently, what uh, apparently they have a, a law in Mexico City that foreign, you know, foreign plates, whether foreign to Mexico or foreign, like different country, uh, foreigners can't drive from six a.m. to eleven a.m. because the smog is just terrible in Mexico City and it's overcrowded oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's busy and. Um, so apparently, I mean, we, when we got stopped, we thought it was just, you know, BS. Uh, mm -hmm. We thought there, he was just trying to get money out of us, but apparently it is a law. Um, but you know, we, we were able to, to get out of those situations, uh, um, both times without paying bribes. So, um, thank, one, first one, thankfully, uh, you know, a local walked up and didn't speak English, but he just said, extortion, extortion. And the cop just shook Jason's hand and let us go. So, um, you know, it's, uh, that was uh, certainly an interesting experience, kind of, kind of scary. Getting uh, you know stopped by a, a you know a handful of cops 
mm. in Mexico City. Um, but uh, made it through that, um, made it to Acapulco, and uh, it was uh, an incredible experience. Uh, it really was. And then you made your way back here? Yeah, so um, I, I was there from November to uh, mid-December, and I came back to Illinois for the holidays. And I uh, was planning on going back, but um, I, had to do, I had to do a bunch of stuff. I didn't have a uh, you know, permanent address at that time, and my registration was going to expire on my vehicle. Um, you know, they're, they're, and my passport is going to expire in May too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, I was going to, you know, stay back, stay back for a little while and then go back, uh, to Acapulco. But, um, you know, then, the, uh, then what happened with John Galton, yeah. um, kind of, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in a rush to go back there. Yeah, I totally least. understand that. So what have you been doing here? Yeah, so um, I came back uh, um, when I, so originally whenever I came back for the holidays, I went back to Austin and tent camped yeah. um, at a, uh, it was an Army Corps of Engineer um, campsite, $6 a night, really nice place, um, camped there for a couple weeks. And uh, I talked to my parents, um, they were starting a family business and they could use my, they could have used my help getting started, we'd be way ahead, so I decided to come back here. Um, and uh, I've got 22 acres in Southern Illinois. Um, I've got a, a big garden, I've got chickens, um, and I'm, I'm doing the, uh, the off-grid homesteading thing. So yeah, you mentioned, uh, my plan was to go more mobile, but it seems that, uh, after, uh, after that, you know, a year ago when we talked, uh, it seems to have plan, uh, plans seem to have changed at least a little bit. It's nice though, your plans were flexible, right? Like far yeah. more flexible. Like what you were making was a very flexible and free plan for yourself at that time. And we, we, I, I, our conversation was sort of a follow up to my travels, which weren't too extensive. I mean, it was six weeks that mm-hmm. I was on the road, but yeah, I mean, it, that lends itself to adapting to something else if necessary. And you had an opportunity, so that's what you're doing. Right. So what's new with uh, Liberty under attack? Yeah. So, uh, I, I was trying to make it to the, uh, I guess it would be the four year anniversary of the podcast before I, before I killed it. Um, I've got, I've, I've, I've got too much stuff going on. Um, I'll, I'll get into a few of those things, but, uh, but yeah, I closed down, uh, the podcast for Liberty Under Attack and, uh, basically just transitioned it over to, uh, Liberty Under Attack Publications, mm-hmm. uh, which is my, I guess my main, my main side hustle now. Uh, and we, we find, uh, uh, books that are out of print, like, uh, old volume publications, um, or old libertarian publications, um, that, you know, are very rare. Um, and that, uh, you know, I digitize, um, so that they're, they're available forever. Uh, and then I also put those out in paperback formats. Uh, and my book's also available uh, under that too. Um, and we also offer services to new authors uh, trying to navigate the publishing process. So we'll do everything from proofreading and editing to uh, marketing promotion, basically uh, everything. So. so you had a book by Lawrence Reed, I think, called, uh, uh, the title was close to Are We Good Enough? For Freedom. Is mm-hmm. that what that book is called? Yeah. I'd never heard of that. Like, I'd heard of his other books, but I'd never heard of that book before. And I saw it and I thumbed through it quickly while I was at your table. Obviously, it's an important book to you. So, so actually, um, what, so I, I did this for the first time last year at the fest, but, um, the Freedom for Economic Education, um, they have a little program. It's mostly for, like, for classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I did it last year. I submitted the same form this year and they sent a big box of books, uh, to give away here at the fest. Um, so those aren't ones that I publish. Um, oh, just, okay. Yeah. They did, those. they did yeah. say, they said fee on them. That's right. Yep. I yep, saw correct. that. Yep. Have you read that book? Um, I have not. No, because I, uh, I haven't either. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, wow, that's a question that I've asked in, like, several different forms. And there it is on Shane's table. So uh-huh. I was ju- I was just curious. I mean, I guess I could pick it up and read it. <laughs> right, right. Right. I wonder when it was written, too. I wonder how long people have been asking that question. Probably quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, when was he writing? Leonard Reed was the... Uh, was the Leonard? Was, yeah, Leonard. Did I say Lawrence? Lawrence? Lawrence Reed is his son. Oh, okay. Um, and that might have been by his son. There's, okay, there's yeah. There's books by both of them there. Yeah. So I wanted to have a different kind of conversation with you. That's kind of where you are now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, can I ask you one more question about that? Sure. Why, why publishing? Why print? Why, why is that something that you wanted to get into? Uh, so, I mean, uh, um, I always, uh, I'm not a digital reader anyway, so I always, I love paperbacks. I know there are a lot of folks out there too that just don't like to read on a screen. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the first thing. But really, I was in Acapulco. I had a lot of time on my hands because uh, rent was like $100 a month. Yeah. Everything was cheap. So I, I had time on my hands. And I just, uh, you know, decided I would go ahead and go format uh, books to put on Amazon. So I had time and I just figured I figured I should. And uh, eventually I got in contact with Miriam Zachariah, who's here. Um, she's a, she's a, uh, an artist, uh, illustrator, designer. And uh, she, um, I, I talked to her and she said she'd, she'd help me do it. So she designs all the book covers. And uh, Yeah, just, they're beautiful. They're really nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they definitely are. It kind of really wasn't planned at all. Uh, I was in Acapulco and I decided to, to get started on it. And then I got back and it just kind of happened. Uh, it's, it's weird because I've, I've been trying to get a, a good side hustle going in the alternative media or in my, just in my life for a while. And publishing was, was the thing, services to authors, which is crazy. It was the, the last thing I would ever expect to, to hit. <laughs> right. But so you have this entrepreneurial venture. Mm-hmm. You have been a media producer. You're here. You started in a very different place, mm-hmm. and it was a your your friend, our friend Jason Paradise, who used to co-host the show with mm-hmm. you. Uh, I think he he was on there the first time I was on. He was saying that you had turned him on to Bill Cooper, mm-hmm. right? So now, for my audience, and one of the reasons why I thought this would be interesting is, I started in the same place, right? I started with like Coast to Coast Radio, and then got into Alex Jones, and that was a, like a really motivating part of my journey to start thinking differently. You know, I was at this Red Pill conference recently. One of the presenters was from Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, mm-hmm. Richard Gage. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to his presentation and I'm going, you know, this was like negative thoughts I was having. Like, I like him. I like that he founded that organization. But I was like, there's not really much here that I didn't know in 2008. Right. You know what I mean? And then I started thinking like, well, what did this movement really do? It ate up certainly a lot of time and attention and energy resources from people and it didn't really seem like it accomplished much but Mm-mm. maybe it was a, a kind of necessary step into you know something that was provocative and that got people differently uh, thinking differently and then move them into questioning other things right and those things weren't specific events but um how does this event fit into uh, the context of the world as it is that I clearly don't understand, right. you know, so I'm mean, now just be an example of one person's path. So that was what it kind of was for me. I never knew anything about this Bill Cooper. <laughs> so I wanted to hear your story, compare our stories. Now you're much younger than I am. You're what? 26, seven, 27. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're, you're probably actually going through this at a different time than I was. When did you discover Bill Cooper? Uh, so it was actually, um, I guess what really got me started was, uh, I was like 19. I watched 9-11 Loose Change on Netflix. Okay. That kind of, uh, it didn't get me started immediately, but I was, I was, I was in a different place in my life back then. I was, I, all I cared about was drugs and women. And I just randomly came across this documentary and watched it and I was like, whoa. What made you watch it? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I just, I, I have no idea. I'd never looked into, any, into anything like that before. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love the history channel and such. I love documentaries, but yeah. so I guess that might've been just the... The reason, the reason I clicked on it. Yeah, I saw one. It was at the bottom shelf of a uh, video store. You're 27. You know what a video store is? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so it was uh, – we uh, my girlfriend and I, it was probably 2005, 
we're walking around and we see this 9-11 document. It wasn't loose change. It was something else. So we get it and we watch it and we're like, holy shit. Now, I had far less developed critical thinking skills than I do now. So if something made it onto a tape or a DVD or whatever it was, mm -hmm. I took it seriously. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I didn't, I, I don't think I went at it just with a critical eye that I should have. And, and that was probably true with a lot of things that I was encountering back then. And like coast to coast, if you're familiar with this radio yep. program, was actually pretty good training because some stuff was just so outlandish <laughs> that you're like, well, okay. that And that actually sent me like to the internet to start like looking things up. Now I'm in my late twenties at this point. I might've mm -hmm. been like your age or a little bit older at this point. Wait, yeah. Yeah. It was like your age at this point. So for you, you're younger than I was. You find this loose change documentary that I think we've all seen. Mm -hmm. How does that get you to Bill Cooper? And what does that what does that change for you? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, so I watched this documentary and I didn't act upon it or anything for for quite some time. Um, it was just kind of something I watched, thought about. The wheels were turning though yeah. a little bit. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so really, um, it probably would have been maybe even like a year later. Mm -hmm. um, I came across, like I mentioned, 9-11 was, was kind of the, the thing that really first first start, uh, got me started looking into, into these things. Um, well, there was a video I came across on YouTube called Bill Cooper Predicts 9-11. I didn't know who the hell this guy was. No idea. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, you see titles like that, they're just clickbait. Yeah. Um, so I clicked on it. And it was a clip from a June 2001 episode of, of his uh, Hour of the Time radio show. Which was on like shortwave radio and stuff too. So like it, this was old. Like he started doing radio. He wrote his book in the early '90s when before I was born. Mm -hmm. So I found this uh, this video, and he said uh, in it, whatever they're going to blame on Osama bin Laden, don't you even believe it? This Osama bin Laden's you know wanted. You know he's a wanted man. You know internationally. But this reporter stumbles into his hideout and interviews him. So why why do all these fools believe this charade? That a CNN reporter and his little camera crew can do what all the money and all the assets and all the eavesdropping and all the intelligence and all the satellites and all the undercover operatives in the world can never do. It's because they're not trying. They don't want to. Osama bin Laden is their creation, and he is serving them well. I mean, is this some kind of incredible joke that... People are so stupid they'll fall for this. And now we're being bombarded with messages that Osama bin Laden is planning to attack the United States of America and Israel. Let me tell you something. If he's an enemy of Israel and the Mossad can't find him, then this thing is the biggest joke that you ever heard of in your life. And I'm telling you, be prepared for a major attack. But it won't be Osama bin Laden... It will be those behind the New World Order who once again want to take the guns and the freedom away from the American people because we're the only ones left in the world who can oppose the destruction of freedom in the world and then the implementation of a one-world totalitarian socialist government, and that is the goal. And whatever is going to happen that they're going to blame on Osama bin Laden, don't you even believe it. I was like, wow, this was, you know, June, clearly months before 9-11. What did this guy know? So do you think when Alex Jones, do you know about Alex Jones doing sim something very similar in July of that year? The point is, if any terrorism comes, it's from this government. 
And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden who was a known CIA asset in the 80s running the Mujahideen War and whose family builds all the military bases over in Saudi Arabia right now and sits on the board of Iridium Satellite, he's the boogeyman they need in this Orwellian phony system. I want the White House numbers up there now. A big part of this solution, after you research all the government terrorism and check out what I'm saying is true, call the White House and tell them, we know the government's planning terrorism. We know Oklahoma City and World Trade Center was terrorism. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun. If you do it, we're going to blame you because we know who's up to it. Or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And you could save the planet. Didn't he always get accused of, like, biting off Bill Cooper's stuff? Uh, so Bill was on Alex's show, I think, in 2000 or 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, they were familiar with each other. Um, but uh, Alex Jones did this uh, did this broadcast on Y2K. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill was not happy. Uh, he had to call out Alex Jones. Um, Alex Jones was saying that, uh, you know, as he's getting things off the fax machine. Looks like Russians are taking over nuclear reactors. You know, the end is near, like that, that sort of thing. So Bill saw Oh, my that. goodness. <laughs> wow. All right, let's go ahead and get to this article. Associated Press, uh, this came out at 7.22 a.m. Eastern Standard Time today, December 31st, 1999. Pennsylvania, nuclear plant shut down one of the two nuclear reactors at Pico Energy Co.'s Limerick Generating Station has shut down uh, this morning after a piece of equipment failed. Company spokesman Neil McDermott said the problem was not Y2K related. It was declared an unusual event, the least serious emergency classification of a nuclear power plant. They've got to have a serious emergency to shut down a plant, ladies and gentlemen. You power one down, you're not going to power it up for at least days. Um, it was declared an unusual event. At 2.55 a.m., shutdown occurred when an insulator on the main generator transformer from Limerick 2 failed. We had reports yesterday of this. Off the record, I would not report it, but I had it from a good source that this plant was having problems along with four other plants. I may just go ahead and report it here. From our information, it is not this, this transformer that they're talking about. They wouldn't just shut a plant down over that. Something serious may be going on there. So that the central government, known as the federal government, the occupational government uh, in Washington, D.C., has set up a huge $50 million command bunker hooked into all the FEMA boxes that can take over all the shortwave uh, broadcast and commercial AM and FM stations as well as television broadcast stations. And we hope they do not activate that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, police and military are on high alert, running around looking for supposed boogeymen and terrorists under every rock. Uh, military uh, are highly visible now. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are trains of military equipment moving into Austin. Uh, two nights ago, on Wednesday night, Fox News reported that the airport will be used as a massive holding facility for troublemakers or rioters here in Austin that has no history of riots. They need to get that country locked down so they can stage the election for Vladimir Putin. I mean, this guy is a demon. Have you seen this guy? It's just how he's raging with power. I'm Alex Jones. I'm your host. I'm just one of the great hosts here on the GCN Radio Network, and I've been very passionate today because I can't even keep track of all the developing news that's coming in. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not even going to say it's, it's six to seven reactors across the country. Um, I'm not even going it, to. It, right. it, it's bad, and I, I got this news about the Pennsylvania plant early yesterday. Got it again off air. Confirmed it with someone that is 99% accurate, about like I am, trying to report the truth, and now i got the Associated Press saying, well, they shut the whole plant down, but uh, they call it an, an unusual event, the least serious emergency classification of nuclear power plant. Well, it's got to be pretty bad for them to power a plant down. As the developments um, move forward with this Y2K and this gear up for uh, clamping down America and Russia and around the world, by, by globalist forces, we'll be bringing you the news as long as we're here on the air. Time is getting shorter until Y2K. If you want to be sure your family and loved ones weather the potential Y2K storm of delays, shortages, or interruptions of services, then now is the time to stock up on emergency supplies and a home food reserve. 
so Bill called him out on that. Apparently, Bill was on his show before, and uh, um, you know, Bill started talking. He had, he had a large, large radio show. He's probably bigger than Alex Jones at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Alex went on the air and basically just said, "Oh, you know, Bill's a drunk. Uh, you know, don't believe anything that he says. Uh, brush it aside." But he had, but Bill Cooper at this point had some cred. He had written this book. It was called "Behold a Pale Horse." Mm-hmm. In the early 90s, yep. like you said, and he probably had a sizable following on the radio at mm-hmm. that point. So Alex Jones, who wasn't nobody then, but was probably not as well known uh, as trust is, is a kind of a tricky word in that space. Yeah. But he didn't have the faith accumulation that, that right. Bill Cooper had at that point. But it's... Around this time that Alex Jones, I mean, it's 9-11 where Alex Jones starts to take over, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really, uh, right after uh, right after Bill died, I mean, I think it was a month or two after 9-11, Bill was killed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Alex, I mean, he, Alex was kind of the just the default replacement, I guess, well, just, the, just kind of what, what happened. How into it did you get? So you, you find the video of him predicting, or at least predicting that there's going to be some kind of event that Osama bin Laden is blamed for, mm-hmm. in his words. Uh, what do you do from there? So obviously, I, I as I tend to do with most things, uh, most new things now, um, I got uh, a little obsessed. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, for, let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I worked at at that time. I worked at a moving company, and uh, I did a lot of packing. Mm-hmm. Um, packed up people's people's houses. Uh, so I had like ten to twelve hours every single day just to listen to. Bill Cooper's show, Hour of the, hour of the Time. Um, now, these aren't on podcast feeds or anything. They're on the website, so I had to go on my phone. This would have been like five or six years ago and actually open up the MP3 file on the player. Um, so it's not organized the greatest. Uh, um, Doyle could do a little better job. But anyway, um, they're all up there, which is, which is the important thing. So I went through, there's like 2,000 hours um, or some crazy number um, of, of radio shows up Is there. this all still available? Yep. Wow. All right. Uh, so I worked my way through every single one of them over the span of like one to two years. Mm-hmm. What would you say was his his kind of unifying worldview, right? So, like, if if Alex Jones, I I hate it, just makes it easy to keep comparing them, even though I know it's might maybe unfair. Um, obviously, his position has changed, and his basic like mo has been tightening the in group by accentuating the the presence and the danger of the out group. And the out group kind of has changed a little bit, but some things that he's been consistent on since I first heard of him when he was talking about 9/11 maybe like in 2005 around there, mm-hmm. globalism, he was always anti-immigration. He always saw um or illegal immigration at least because he saw that as a way of like even more conservative politicians and corporations moving people in as cheap labor, mm-hmm. and it was undermining Americans. When I first think, I, I know that before that, he was more focused on local Texas issues, and he, he right. certainly had his pick, right, with Waco. Um, I know he was there. I know he went deep into the Oklahoma City thing, mm-hmm. but always from the same position of kind of, a, right. it's not. <laughs> Paranoia feels kind of unfair, but from the outside, when you first encounter it, that's what it looks like. Like, yeah. it's kind of an unfair label to stick to him. Uh, you know, we were recording shows after he went on um, Piers Morgan and had yeah. that weird meltdown. Yep. I was like, okay, this guy. And then he declared himself the next day on his show the leader of the liberty movement. 
uh, I was like, all right, this is a plan. This is this guy. There's some other agenda here. Like I was very suspicious. And my friend and I did a, a show about it and we kind of broke down that interview and tried to understand what he's all about. But I mean, quite honestly, I still don't understand what he's all about. But his presentation is globalism and just about anything that happens that's like a catastrophic catalyzing event is synthetic. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And and of course, patriotism, I know he would throw the word libertarian around, yeah. but how would you describe Bill Cooper in the same terms as far as like, a, you know, a unifying view of what's happening in the country and the world? Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're, they're really not. Um, I'd say they're, they're, they're baseline views, constitutionalism, anti-New World Order is how Bill would have put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, they're pre- pretty, um, pretty common on 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 those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, Bill was a, a rigid constitutionalist. Um, he j- he wouldn't have fallen for the Trump thing like uh, like like Alex did, right? Um, yeah, anti uh, anti New World Order, pro Constitution, one hundred percent. He was uh, um, one of uh, his his great feats. I think was um, he uh, rallied the militia in Arizona. Um, you know, he actually got them kind of organized. I don't know for for me being a constitutionalist at that time, that was uh, pretty cool because militias, you know. Mm. Never see those around anymore. You, you know, don't hear, really really hear anything about them. I mean, he he went uh, he he went as far as as far as Alex did on some things. Um, like the JFK assassination. There's a video online, and um, I don't remember the title of it. Um, JFK, the Fallen King, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he goes through and keep in mind this is like early 1990s, so it's like a it's a really terrible quality video. But he goes through and looks at, like all the symbolism um, where where Kennedy was killed. Um, and kind of goes through like you know the phallus, phallus of Osiris is here. Um, and, have you ever uh, been there? No, I have it's not. An eerie place, is it? And I, I understand that it's eerie because John F. Kennedy was shot there, and there's a huge conspiracy around it. But it is um, shockingly small, like how much of a a shooting gallery it actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, and how where he was shot was like, my goodness, there were so many different ways to target somebody like yeah. right right where from so many different angles uh yeah it, it, it's definitely interesting and yeah i have looked at that 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 symbolism of the spot too but yeah yeah go on i mean i, I would say that that bill probably went a little more off of uh, uh was a little more rigorous in, in some things mm-hmm. um as far as verifying his research and others no like there's a lot of there's quite a few things in behold a pale horse that are just blatantly ridiculous what, what's the um, push that the book makes he just explains what the what the government, uh, um, what the New World Order is doing. He goes through uh, kind of the mystery schools. Uh, mystery Babylon talks about kind of uh, you know where these where these things started. His belief was that you know this is just a long a long plan that's being put in place. That, so it had continuity. Uh huh. So yeah, he he basically just covered what what happened. Uh, uh, you know what what was going on. Um, yeah, some ridiculous ridiculous conspiracies. Um, like uh, one one of them that's uh, funniest to me is that uh, he says that like the, the the rulers of the United the, the real rulers of the United States and the real rulers of Russia meet in a submarine in like the North Pole underwater so they can avoid being surveilled. There's some ridiculous stuff. Do you offer any evidence? I mean, the, I, I don't remember for that for that specific claim. Um, but uh, he was, and I guess I should have mentioned this. He was um, his family had a lot of history in naval intelligence. Yeah. Um, and he he did it as well. Um, so he had uh, some classified documents uh, that that he found. Uh, like he, he found uh, silent weapons for quiet wars just on a printer, um, is what he said, uh, and that that made it into the book. It's the first chapter, um, which is basically just a you know a, a guide for enslaving humanity um, through mostly subversion or <clears throat> yeah can, you know it's it's you know the the, the same thing you hear in the conspiracy circles control the money um, control the resources. Um, 
yeah, and it obviously goes it goes a, a lot further than that. But um, yeah. So I was going to ask you at the end how you feel about him now, but I think we're going to be revealing that along the way. I can I can yeah. tell in some of the things that you're saying. So the other interesting thing. I guess that's different in our stories is I experienced a lot of the world with my conspiracy people, Alex Jones included. Like, mm-hmm. so I kind of jettisoned coast to coast radio once it was, you know, ghosts and giants and whatever. But the political thing is what I picked up from there, namely 9 11. Like, that was really what I tried to follow mm-hmm. and started to connect to other people like this is around the time 2006 2007 that i found loose change and and other people who were talking about this and putting 9-11 into a larger context right so from there i'm actually experiencing a lot of events with these people like um you know whether it's Infowars or or whoever whoever's talking about it and youtube starts to become more of a thing you're encountering bill cooper after he's dead, you experience nothing with him, right? Because nope. he, mm-hmm. he died when you were like... Nine years old. Nine, yeah. yeah. So you actually go back through his radio archives and hear what he had to say. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was really awesome, um, like going through, because he did episodes on Oklahoma City and, um, you know, the, the first World Trade Center. But like he, he, went, he did episodes on, like, all of those events, too, yeah. um, and more of them. So it was really was awesome. Is that how you learned about them? I mean... I mean, I'd heard of them, but I didn't yeah. know, like, like, obviously, when you, when you hear someone, like, reporting, you know, was, like, reporting, you know, on the day that it's happening, it's different than looking back in, in the history books. So, like, it was, it was really... Um, I mean, I'd, I'd heard of heard of those events, but I really didn't know a whole lot about them or the details. And it was cool hearing everything from A to B, how you know he's how he's getting his information, what he's been able to verify, um, and, uh, and and that sort of stuff. So uh, that was a, a cool part of that too. But right out the gate, like so, if we just take Oklahoma City for example, right out the gate, he's saying this is not the what you're hearing is not the truth. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Was he known for making any other predictions, even if they were vague ahead of time? Like, I mean, so he's got his whole framework that he's putting news events into. But to 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 nail down like uh, the Osama bin Laden thing is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Right. Uh, I don't know if he because uh, to me, he's always just been this very intriguing figure that I always felt like. I had, for lack of a better word, outgrown that. You know, like just yeah. kind of lumping him in with somebody like Jones um, or, you know, the Patriot constitutionalist thing. Like I just felt by the time I even learned who he was right. that I why would I go back to do that? But then I just kept hearing his name and hearing more about him through the year. I mean, this has been going on for me for like uh, since I became a libertarian. So we're talking mm-hmm. like 12, 13 years, maybe yeah. a little more at this point. Um, and. Yeah, like when I when I said that that this was your guy, this was one of your the central figures yep. in getting you from, I guess, just being a regular teenage Joe to where you are now. Yeah, and I said I want to know I want to know everything you know, or as much as you yeah. can tell me in an hour about what you know and how this happened. Yeah. So you read the book, you go through the radio archives. How did you feel, and how much were you checking? what he was saying or trying to balance what he was saying with other sources and how hungry did it make you for, you know, trying to understand the bigger picture, like beyond what he's talking about or saying, all right, I've identified from listening to all these hours or from reading this book, what his framework is, what his, 
view of the world is mm-hmm. I want to compare that to somebody else's. You have a process like yeah. that. Um, so I, yeah, I'll be honest. Yeah, back then I would. Yeah, I was. I was young. I obviously didn't learn how to do proper research. Oh, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schools. So yeah, I was uh, very careless up until really uh, until I became an anarchist, um, at least, and probably even a year beyond that until I started applying the trivia method and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I was. Uh, I was not very vigorous in my research. Um, I listened to the podcast, and uh, I kind of just took what he said at face value for most things, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously is unwise. Um, yeah, obviously unwise, especially um, like with, with what he was talking about. Like he, uh, After I watched that uh, video where he predicted 9-11, I found his Mystery Babylon series, which is like 20-something episodes, and he goes into the mystery schools like uh, Free, Freemasonry and Ordo Templi Orientis and all these, uh, all these secret societies that are secretly controlling um, everything that's happening in the world. He's building a very big picture that you're not treating very skeptically right yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah i i really didn't verify much that was my my main reason for switching ideologies and things that i uh, you know my, my belief so much is because i just didn't really verify well how did that happen like, like what something changed right because yeah. now you're here mm-hmm. right so what was it that broke you and not that like bill cooper wasn't helpful in making mm-hmm. you walk a path but what changed that took you outside of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was he was certainly instrumental. Um, like I credit him more than in, anyone else for for getting me here because it, it took a lot of hours. I mean, it took a lot of hours of listening to him and trying to figure things out, uh, trying to you know learn, understand what was going on in the world. Um, but yeah, things things really changed. Uh, I guess I made it through the archives, and uh, I, I guess at that time I, I I got a new job, so I didn't have as much time to. Not that I, I could have gone and re-listened, and I would have, but I, I didn't have a lot of time. I got onto uh, to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, one of the steps was uh, I kind of uh, approached uh, you know sovereign sovereign citizen sort of tactics. Um, okay, I, that's a logical uh, next step. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I, I joined a group uh, on on Facebook, and um, you know their their strategy was basically uh, you know there are these magic four sentences after you say them in court, they have to release you, and then you can build a build them for you know build them for their time and they can pay you mm-hmm. the guy that ran it was living in the philippines so he was trying to get people in america to you know get tickets on purpose show up to court and read these four senses to show that they work um so there were a few people that did it some people you know went and passed out uh, you know flyers there's a girl there's a, an older lady that lived like 45 minutes away from me that was in this group and she actually went and you know put out flyers you know the four senses say these in court there was a lot of over when i started listening to free talk live in 2006 there was a lot of overlap with these, with this kind of crowd too. So I remember yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I would have, I would have stayed in that group. Like I, I would have been in there. But there was a disagreement with, uh, like I within a month or two, and I was an idiot at that time. How old are you now? Um, I would have been like twenty one, twenty two, somewhere around there. Okay. And uh, so like, just this was this was like two thousand fourteen. Yeah. Wow. Right. All right. Okay. So, yeah. That. Yeah. That's right. Because I started the podcast in 2050. This would have been summer of 2015. Because like you're yeah. telling this story, and I keep like in my effort to relate to you, I keep like going in my head to like 2007, right? Which is a totally different world. <laughs> it's a totally different world. So yeah. Uh, but go, yeah. Because there weren't any Facebook groups. But so you're there's an argument in the group. And oh yeah, this yeah. Is so I so I I very very quickly. Um, was giving uh you know uh, like seminars on on subjects. I did one or two of them, and um. Oh no! There's some disagreement with the with the, the founder of it. I, I said, "Well, you're in the Philippines. You're telling people to do this. I feel like that's kind of 
Uh, you know, you're telling people to take a risk that you're not willing to take. Sure, and yeah. eventually, it, eventually, we I, I kind of left and and moved on. And uh, um, I remember it. Uh, I mean, and at that time, I still would go back and listen to some of Bill Cooper. And I remember something that he said. He was like, "If you want me to cover, if like people tell me they want me to cover a subject, let me talk about something, let me research something. Um, well, start your own radio show, start your own newspaper, start your own whatever. Um, you know, that's free press. You know, you can you can start your own outlet. Um, and that was one of the main things that drove me to start a radio show. Just um, just a few months later was that statement uh, and there's also a quote which i had pulled up that was very huge and i mean that still translates into into what i do today yeah he said like it or not everything is changing the result will be the most wonderful experience in the history of uh, history of man or the most horrible enslavement that you can imagine be active or advocates the future is in your hands and he mm. said that in 1989 so bill was really the one that got me got me active you know like and my first step was learning trying to understand what was going on yeah because you are like in your work repeatedly action-oriented, right? Mm -hmm. It's such a part of what you do. Yeah, we can talk about problems, but you're explicitly saying, okay, this, what did you call it? Yeah, the, we had the direct action Direct series. action. That was it. Mm -hmm. That was it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And making a commitment to do that means you never get lost in reactiveness or powerlessness. Right. And I love that. I thought that was great. I thought that was very, that was a lot of wisdom for a young person who was new to these ideas to know that that had to be in there. So that was like one of the first things I noticed about what you were doing. But that came from Bill Cooper was yep. a huge influence in that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. The radio show wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be at this festival because I found out about the festival, the radio show. I mean, he was ab absolutely instrumental. And, and now, obviously, I don't. Um, I, I kind of regret there was a there was a Christmas where I bought like five copies and like wrote letters to like family members like telling them to read the book. I kind of regret that now from some of the stuff that was in it. But um, <laughs> I've done that too. I think I've done that in the past. Like <laughs> Merry Christmas. Here's my views. Put them in your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I kind of I kind of regret that now, um, but I mean they're close friends and family. They're they right, right, right. You view me differently, but um, so I, I mean I and every once in a while I will go back and listen to listen to an episode because I mean it's just it's it's I still appreciate the work that he did. I, I think it was uh, really valuable, and well, I don't know this for sure, but um, as 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 what happened with us, conspiracies led us. You know, they were just a step in the journey, um, and I guess I will say one of the one of the risks um and something i've seen time and time again with even you know I, I call him this now or actually i don't call him this but this is a term that's going around uh cooped heart yeah um, people that just listen to everything he says and never go beyond it never so there's still folks that, that that are kind of stuck in that um and that's that's one of the things that i warn about you know like i think uh i don't you know ridicule people that look at conspiracies but i fear um that they get stuck in the rabbit hole and never escape and then also most conspiracists i know aren't anarchists they're constitutionalists mm. um so they never um, a lot of those folks never make the um the complete jump which is strange because if you think the government's doing all of these things if you think the secrets of secret societies are controlling governments um like if, if if they're doing all of these really horrible things there's it seems like there's a disconnect there it's it's a weird place to look for solutions ultimately mm -hmm. yep right and the solutions are government oriented only it's, it's it's locally based which is better but if your entire work is based on investigating conspiracies what action is there for you other than really researching i mean and and more darkness you know you know i didn't see this i i think i saw elements of this at the red pill conference but i saw a lot of constructiveness and a lot of positivity too especially considering i was there around richard grove's course and he attracted some really great people so that's mm -hmm. who i was spending most of my time with just kind of wandering around the conference and getting and picking up like on the subtleties of things there is that element to conspiracy where 
some of us maybe were really conspiratorial would suggest that conspiracy theories themselves are disempowering, right? Because if you take an event like 9-11 and you say, okay, the government perpetrated this, whatever that means, mm -hmm. it can mean all kinds of different things or some element inside the government perpetrated this while the rest of the government was oblivious to it yeah. or silent about it. Then the entire media lied about it and covered it up. And you're one person at home in front of your computer. What power could you possibly have? So it, even if it's accidental, it has a psyop feature to it itself. Right. right? And, that, and, that's, and that's a very good point. I wrote uh, an article um, probably like a year ago. Um, it's, it was titled An Answer to the Omnipotence, Omnipotence of State. And, and I looked into that uh, myself and conspiracies for one example. Um, because you're right. If the government's this omnipotent, omniscient, and, and all of these you know, godlike characteristics, that they can orchestrate these events, then it's always been here. It's going to be here forever. I mean, there's not much you can do. Um, yeah, and what kind of power could a, could a person or even a group of awakened people have against a plan that, you know, according to Bill Cooper or, or others, thousands of years in the making, right? Yeah. How do you change that course as one individual? Right. You can't. No. So I think if it were all true, understanding that it exists, like I think I said last night, identifying the predators in your environment mm -hmm. is an important step for your own safety and survival. Right. But there has to be some kind of follow-up. And when you, you use the phrase cooptards, it again, it reminds me of the InfoWars crowd where it's basically a closed system. Right. And and I do. The one thing that I knew about Bill Cooper is that Alex Jones had kind of modeled a lot of what he does after Bill Cooper, not just in what he says, but whether Bill Cooper did it intentionally or not, creating a culture around the word of the man. Yeah. Right. So Infowars is very much a closed system. It will tell you everything from the news you need. Uh, to the pills you need to take. I'm not knocking right. him for advertising or anything, but everything is branded Infowars, mm -hmm. and it is like a one-stop shop for all your solutions to, you know, surviving the scourge of the new world order. Right. So, and and when people don't operate outside of that world, obviously they're doing themselves a great disservice. So you, inspired by Bill Cooper, though, start this show, start talking to people on this show, but you still have some changes to make some yeah. revelations to have right yeah um so i mean i i, I kind of uh, begrudgingly held on to the label of constitutionalist after the sovereign citizen group i was kind of lost um, yeah I, I really was i was searching for an idea i was i was searching for an ideology admittedly um but uh you know i, I started liberian attack radio as, as an attempt to replace bill's show um so i mean we talked about uh, similar subjects for the first few months and then uh i uh you know was talking to anarchists and i became an anarchist what so, would you remember like a specific revelatory moment that changed things for, or a show, even if it took a whole show? Um, really, it just came down to that. Uh, I didn't trust people. Uh -huh. um, I didn't trust, I didn't trust anybody. I, I trust very few people. So how could I ever trust them without a government? Right. So someone explained, you know, explained, well, if you can't trust them, then why, how could you trust, how, how could you trust them in a position of power? Do you remember who explained this to you? I do not know. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure who it was. Uh, Somebody deserves some the credit for that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Internet, yeah. So, how are you? Were you? Was it just an interview show, or were you taking calls, or doing roundtables, or what was the format before I encountered you? Yeah. Um, so it was live radio up until I think the end of 2016. So um, we had uh, um, it wasn't a large show. So like we'd have uh, um, we'd have uh, a caller show or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, people would you know, call in and you know bring up whatever they wanted to. We kind of just left it open, um, but. Uh, 
yeah, similar uh, um, similar subjects. Uh, uh, it was it was um, interviewed uh, someone who I called at that time, like uh, the next Bill Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's Robert Bruce. Um, he runs a uh, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, oh god, I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what his uh, has to do with one of the FEMA zones. I but, don't know uh, the FEMA zones, yeah. but I get the idea. <laughs> so, yeah, he, 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 he started a radio network with that name. But uh, I had him on, and I called him like the next Bill Cooper, and someone called in and just ripped us a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, just frustrated, angry, because, you know, Bill Cooper is the only Bill Cooper. Yeah. So um, that was my first, that was like my first actual um, interaction with, with one of those folks. And, I mean, at that point, I I I, I, I tried to go beyond what Bill said, but that, but but he didn't. Um, Robert was expanding. He did more research. Um, and yeah, he didn't call or didn't like it too much, to say the least. <laughs> so you also talked about discovering and embracing the trivium method, uh, and that helping you put somebody like Bill Cooper and his work and probably, you know, as a result, the work of several others, the ideas and claims of several others, mm-hmm into a a kind of context right like there's the world and these things happen and people apply these sort of singular views to it and you know they get locked into those ideas and they you know develop their own dialectic around that their own language around that even in in some cases um and there is certainly as they project their messages to more people they develop their own kinds of cultures around that too so how did you start utilizing the Trivium and applying it to this? Yeah, so I, I think the first time um, I, I heard of the Trivium method, uh, w- it would have been sometime in 2016. I think I actually interviewed Daryl Becker on the Direct Action Series on the Trivium method. Okay. Um, I, didn't really, I didn't really understand it in, until that point, so it was probably, mid, probably early 2016. Do you I mean, remember why you knew you should do that or what gave you the idea to do that? I mean, I probably heard about it on your show. Honestly. Okay. okay. I, I probably heard about it initially on your show. And did, How did you find my show? Uh, actually, the first first uh, fest I came came to here um, hadn't heard of your show, and people talked. I heard people talking about school sucks all over the place, and I was like, "Well, I guess I should probably check it out." So, yeah. Ah, well, that's great. I wasn't even here then. No, nope, you weren't. That's, that's <laughs> awesome that people were doing that. All right, so Daryl introduces the trivium to you, mm-hmm. uh, or ex- explains it. I'm guessing pretty long form to you. Yeah. And, and what kind of experience is that? And what do you do next? I continue to uh, you know uh, doing research on it. Um, I uh, went to triviumeducation.com and looked over all the resources there in the Quadrivium, which I didn't know existed until mm-hmm. later for some reason. Really, I'm just uh, I'm I just uh, am more skeptical. I consume a lot of information from a lot of different sources, but checking information on like I used to do. Now, I'll say something mildly controversial. We implicitly learn the steps of the trivium in public school, mm-hmm. right? Like we are given vocabulary words that relate to a chapter that focuses on one thing. Um, We, once we have the vocabulary words and we define them, like I remember doing this in science, I remember doing this in social studies, Mm -hmm. we see them come together in some kind of story, right? So we we see them coalesce into a narrative where these words make sense together, Mm -hmm. right? And then eventually we are asked to demonstrate our understanding of this thing usually on something we don't want to do, like a paper or a test or or whatever. But it's never made explicit, right? Right. As we all grew up or, like, became politically or philosophically aware in an increasingly, year after year, an increasingly complex world, a lot of us, overwhelmed as we should be, you know, and this is really, like, I remember 
I mean, you know, when you were what seven when nine eleven happened, around the eight, uh, eight years not, old, yeah, uh, two thousand one. Yeah, I would have been not eight or nine. Yeah, so I was twenty. I were I was working at a ski resort, and I just remember it's there's probably very little I could say about it that doesn't sound cliche at this point, but like the whole world changed in like that that single day, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember the internet was like. What was I doing? I had a Yahoo. What was it called? You could make your own Yahoo page, yeah. right? Where you could just put. No one else could even see it, right? So it wasn't even like as good as MySpace, right. but you could. It would show you everything you wanted to to, to know about the internet. So I could mm-hmm. put these are the movie. This, these are the movies that are going to play at the theater near me, and it would display it all in this like multi-column display. <laughs> it was like you felt like you made your own web page of the things that you were interested in, right? And that was the most useful and like personal thing I could imagine about the internet. And I just remember the next day of my life was because I remember, I remember being at work and the internet went down when nine 11 happened. Like you couldn't refresh Yahoo news. Really? Yeah. And this, and this went on for, for a couple hours and I have no explanation for that. But the next day the internet was like the plate, it was sucking you in. Right. And, and, the television was the same, like CNN, the networks. I think MSNBC existed at that running, point. I was running. I was playing basketball outside, and I was running in, in, inside and out watching Fox News. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's like right. Fox News existed then. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So my whole alertness to the world was changed by that event because it's like, how could something so shocking happen? It was also solved that day, right? They knew exactly who oh, yeah. did it yeah. by the the time it got dark, and I, how could something so devastating and so traumatizing be perpetrated by a group of people that we knew nothing about, right? Because I also thought at that time, I thought I was fairly well-informed, maybe not so much on current events, but, you know, I graduated from college. I had studied history. I thought I had a pretty good understanding of, like, the country and the world and even, like, that you'll get this in college that what most people think about the world isn't the truth, Mm -hmm. which kind of primed me to want to become like that revolutionary history teacher. And that was also like when I told somebody I was a teacher, they told me about coast to coast radio a few years later, but to backtrack uh, to the complexity of the world, right? Mm -hmm. That that was how we get off on this whole nine 11 thing. A lot of people wanted to make meaning out of something that was increasingly confusing and they all understood it. Mm -hmm. So the argument from authority became even more powerful if yeah. somebody could take over one of these new platforms, I mean, radio wasn't a new platform, but like I'm the guy who sits at the desk and tells you how it is. Like only really Rush Limbaugh had done that. And like in, in much of it is opinion, opinionated. I'm applying my views to current events. Right. Like I don't remember much of that on Fox News at all. And there were there were people expressing political opinions on shows, but there wasn't like a person – with their own presence and their own brand, just that certainly that I had ever encountered before that. But that became, even though I'm sure it existed before, and even though I'm sure it seduced people before 9-11, it seemed like over the next couple of years leading up to Afghanistan, which I think was that year, and leading up to Iraq, and and the constant threats of like I mean there's this big anthrax thing later right. it, like in the months that followed it was like a mm-hmm. super traumatizing couple of months 
you had to just go to somebody and trust them if you didn't have critical thinking skills. Yeah. Right. Now, most people went to the television and that was fine. But a lot of us who I think were primed to do so wandered into these other places mm -hmm. and just started. Uh, yeah. For me, the first thing was coast to coast radio. It was George mm -hmm. Norrie. And then it was Alex Jones. And then it was sort of the the offshoots of that. But if you don't have a method to apply to this constant influx of information, all you can do is trust the person who presents as if they have a method, they have understanding. Unfortunately, that's still a problem today, right? Like people yeah. are still sucked into that today. And people, like if something happens, I will say, oh, I wonder what Professor CJ would think of that. Or right. I wonder what Jay Dyer would think of that. Mm -hmm. Or even I, you know, I wonder what Stefan Molyneux would think of that. I wonder what he would have to say about that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that that's where I'm going to get my opinion about it. But I was fortunate enough to, years ago, not only embrace the skepticism, but then understand eventually that I needed a method, right? right? And, the, and, the, and the method begins with asking a series of questions about basically anything that you encounter. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, you, you're basically, there's just handles on you for other people to move you around, how right. they want to move you around. And that's unfortunate. So I, I suppose to, to, yeah. be, to better answer your question um, on um, how I apply it, I mean, I am all about definitions now. Um, yeah. I mean, on the Vani podcast, obviously, it's a new it's a new term for for. I mean, we started the podcast; it was brand new to people, so we started every episode with definitions. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing I've taken away from the trivia method is, um, you know, um, grammar. You know, under you know, understanding the terms and be, being on the same um, on the same level if you're having a conversation with somebody. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, um, one of the major things with it, because if you, if, if you're talking to somebody and you are talking about capitalism and, uh, you know, John's a socialist, you know, John's going to have a different view on capitalism than you are. Yeah. Um, so, um, I've, I've really, um, taken to the definitions. No, you have. And one of the things that you did, it was a couple of years ago and I was really impressed with it is you moderated a, a debate and I think it was on parenting. It was Kevin Geary. Mm -hmm. And I forget the other guy because he lost the debate. But yeah, it was my uh, my host of uh, the Vonnie podcast, Calvertin. Right, right, right. Yep. So he he took a, a very angry tone with, and he was, and you were. I knew that you were more on Kevin's side about the thing, but you asked for repeated clarification, and I thought that was that was. I mean, that is good debate uh, moderation. But I mm -hmm. also knew you were a young guy, so I said, "Oh, this, this is pretty good moderating." Deal. <laughs> this guy's pretty good at moderating a debate, <laughs> right? He's asking the right questions. I remember watching Corbett do it. Um, Richard Grove had a, had like a series of debates. He had this lawyer friend who mm -hmm. was debating from a more – you saw this? Yes, from more yes. Constitution. So um, I think Corbett was the moderator, and one was Larkin Rose and one was Stefan Molyneux, and they were both going up against this same lawyer guy who mm -hmm. lost both times also. That was, that was Corbett's approach to debate moderation. Mm -hmm. You didn't see that in political debates. And I've been watching political debates since the first one I watched was with my dad in like 1988, right? Yeah. There's not even a, a demand of the people watching or the, or the other people participating for clarification on so many important things. Right. So, uh, yeah, that definitely shows up in your work from, from what I've seen of it. And I'm happy with how this went. I think that was yeah. actually an interesting story that in the end it is you, <laughs> this trial by fire gets you to even after all the school and all this higher education it's this trial by fire in the conspiracy world that is it fair to say like sends you looking for an answer to how 
to defend yourself from all of this stuff that's that's swirling around you in an increasingly complicated world. Yeah, um, I, I, I'd say the the objective is always personal freedom. Um, it's just the the strategies and, and the end goals changed over time. Uh, like obviously for for quite for quite some time, I'd say even when I first um, had my my two little um, attempts at political crusading, voting once and then um, doing you know an informational protest sort of thing. Yeah, I'd always been trying to increase my personal freedom. Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd been a constitutionalist that whole time, and so at, at that point it was restore the constitution. How do you do that? Well, I don't know. It's just Got to restore the constitution. Right, right. So um, it's it's nice. I mean, anarchy like uh, it worked out well because when it comes to, to to anarchism, and not that a lot of the stuff I talk about can be applied to any ideology. Um, a lot of there are a lot of uh, you know leftist fanuans out there. Um, you know, people decide to pursue lifestyle changes for a variety of reasons, some not political at all. Sure. Um, yeah. So I guess anarchism has been kind of a, a blessing because um, there's there's actually uh, there's not really a clear strategy to abolish the state. But I don't have to deal with uh, the baggage of, of, you know, the Constitution or the baggage of, um, you know, having to deal with, uh, you know, uh, paperwork with, uh, you know, the state to try to get them to try to, try to become a national instead of a citizen or a diplomat. Um, I, I can just exercise. Uh, I can find freedom. Lot of, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of weight off the shoulders. It's more when, bottom when up. You, when you exit the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see that it's more of an effort and it, like obviously events like this and, and just hearing about what everybody here is doing and how people here work together and how people here help each other. Mm-hmm. You see you see a bottom up effort right. to improve the world and improve the lives of the people working from the bottom up where most mm-hmm. solutions to creating a better or a more utopian world have always been from the top mm-hmm. down. And, you know, even a lot of the more the constitutional or the conspiratorial approaches work that way because they require the thought leader kind of figure, right, to direct everybody and tell them what they do. And then as we see, like uh, with InfoWars, ultimately telling people who they should vote for. Right. You know, and, and, and then hero worship on a grander scale than I ever thought I would see in ever yeah. in any alternative media. I mean, that's that it, it was almost on the level of like state media from a fascist or a communist country. So, yeah, great conversation. What's next for you? Uh, what's next? Uh, so, yeah, the, the fest ends uh, tomorrow. I'll be uh, heading to Ohio to see Ben Stone again. Uh, oh, nice. So really, really looking forward to that. Uh, love Ben. And, um, I mean, he's been, influ- he's been influential as well, but obviously after I became an anarchist. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's next. I'll continue uh, with the homestead uh, in Southern Illinois and uh, hoping to be off-grid in a handful of years. Don't know if that's going to work out, but I'm going to keep making progress and you know, turning that into a self-sufficient uh, piece of land and um, publishing more books with LA Publications and continuing to put out uh, content on, on the Vani podcast. So um, not what, much not much too different. What are, What's the website for uh, the publishing? Uh, yeah, libertyunderattack.com. Okay, and for the Vanu podcast, uh, VaniPodcast.com. dot Vani is spelled V as in Victor, O and is in Nancy U podcast, and it stands for. Uh, so it's an awkward contraction of the words voluntary, not vulnerable. Right. So it's about becoming as invulnerable to the coercion of the state and the servile society uh, as humanly possible by way of lifestyle changes and various strategies. Very bottom up. I like that. Yep. Thank you so much, Shane. Hey, thank you for that.